0: From the University of Alberta Alumni Association, it's
1: What the Job. I'm Matt Ray. As an independent artist, you're a contractor, you're an entrepreneur, you're a freelancer. You have to know how to do all the technical and financial things, but you also have to be good at art, right, like you have to do the art, which is the, it's supposed to be the most important thing, but all the other stuff gets in the way.
0: Welcome, everyone, to What the Job Season 3. We're kicking things off with a live episode, recorded back in May, with poet laureate and business grad Nisha Patel. Nisha talks about what it's been like to give poetry readings online, her career shift from politics to performance, and the business side of being an artist. Because this episode was originally a webinar, you can stay tuned at the end for a pre-recorded Q&A session. Enjoy. Enjoy. What the job is made possible with the support of our affinity partner, TD Insurance. Did you know that through the TD Insurance Mellish Monarchs program, University of Alberta alumni are entitled to preferred rates on car, home, condo, and renter's insurance? Save even more by bundling your car and home insurance. To learn more about how you can save, please visit tdinsurance.com slash alumni. Welcome, everyone, to this live special episode of What the Job. It's extra special because we are joined by Poet Laureate Nisha Patel. Nisha, I'm going to start this one the way I always do. What's your
1: name and what's your job? So my name is Nisha Patel. I'm the City of Edmonton's eighth Poet Laureate right here at the end of my two-year tenure. My job, I think, is to be a writer, is to be an artist, and that kind of involves all sorts of things. It involves a lot of business skills. It involves a lot of literary skills. It involves people skills. It involves me being able to get up on time and schedule meetings, as well as make it to shows and drive my car and all of that. So I'd like to say I'm an artist, but I think it's more all-encompassing than that.
0: That's interesting that you talk about all these skills that come into play. Did you expect that when you became Poet Laureate?
1: I think when I became Poet Laureate, it was something that I intended as a platform. I really thought that it would be this little thing that I did for a couple of years. I would have a little bit of say in maybe what people thought day to day um, in, in very small ways and that I would go on in my career to continue to kind of focus very at the community level, at the smaller level and what ended up happening is that the platform has really ballooned. It's given me a lot of opportunities to work with so many different types of people that I couldn't have predicted.
0: And I'm just curious, because I don't know a lot about what a poet laureate does. Do you have responsibilities? Do you have to go to events? Do you have to write on specific moments? Or is it more free and open to how you interpret it?
1: Yeah, so I've never been censored by the city, uh, I guess, to their benefit and downfall at the same time because I'm often very critical of them. But I have been invited to take part in certain kind of civically minded events, at civic events and participate. I've also been invited to present at City Council multiple times uh, with original work that I've created to reflect kind of what goes on in the city and what I view as important as being important issues to, to folks who live here. And other than that, I've kind of been on my own. I've done a lot of other work through the platform that's not connected directly with what the city wants, but because of the visibility the position has given me. So I've worked with nonprofits, I've worked with businesses, I've worked with um, young writers, I've worked with emerging writers, I've worked with older folks and younger folks. And it's kind of taking me all over the place into classrooms and school visits, all the way into workshops with formal writing techniques. And it's It's been a really big role that's been really all encompassing of so many different areas of being an artist.
0: That's pretty cool. And I think a lot of people, when they think about career paths, they don't think about poetry for one thing, but they don't, they also just don't think about creative career paths in general, right? I'm curious about yours and how you got into this one. When, how old were you when you started writing poetry? And when did you start thinking, maybe I can do something serious, uh, like a career with this?
1: Yeah, that's kind of a it's a two-folded question because I wrote poetry when I was maybe like 11, 12, 13 years old. And I actually gave it up and I gave it up for about 10 years because I was really convinced that poetry was not something you could make a career out of, you know. And so for 10 years, I, I gave up creative writing. I gave up the field. And I went to school. I went to the University of Alberta, of course. Um, I did a business degree there and I started working in politics. And right when I left university, I was 23 years old and I was like, you know what? I really wanna take up poetry again. And so I started writing around there. I, I graduated and I started attending like local community events. And it wasn't for a few more years where I was invited to speak at events and participate and write commissions and, and things like that, that I finally thought, you know what, this is what I want to do full time. And I didn't know what full time meant, but I was like, you know what, I've, I have a little bit of savings, which was a huge privilege. I was, you know, I wasn't um, in debt or anything like that from school. And I was like, I'm going to take some time off and I'm going to try to write my first poetry book. And so I did that in 2018, after three years in politics. And that book is the book that just came out this year in 2021. It's the book that I took kind of a year off to write. And then I never went back to politics. I kind of stayed in the artistic sphere. I found other contract work to, to keep me going. And it's a very haphazard career, but it is the career that I want.
0: I'm sure poetry looks at the politics, though, right? Examines the politics, critiques the politics, perhaps.
1: Yes. All all of the poetry I write, I think, is political. Even I feel, you know, something as simple, as complicated as a love poem, you know, can can include politics because, you know, what is the choice to to write about love instead of hate or instead of war or instead of oppression, um, you know, and that in itself is a political choice.
0: Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I think... Just in terms of poetry and uh, alongside that also, it seems with you, the spoken word, actually reciting the poetry out loud, not having it read. Why is that significant to you? Why is performing poetry an important thing?
1: Yeah, for me, performance is more important than publishing because when you perform poetry and hopefully we'll you know, be able to do that in person soon again, I think there's kind of just this like Metaphysical connection that you have with an audience member, right? Where you get to share something that's very near and dear to your heart, often very personal. I do a lot of very confessional work. uh, And someone in the audience gets to sit there and, you know, have a moment where they're like, you know, I'm not alone in the universe, right? Like there's someone who thinks like me or someone who sees some of my struggle or someone who can reflect the stories that I want to tell or I identify with these stories. I empathize with these stories that I'm seeing on stage. And that's what I think is most valuable about a lot of the media we've taken in during the pandemic, right? We're able to find comfort. We're able to find hope. Um, You know, and even when I'm talking about something like systemic racism, right, it's the ability for someone to be like, hey, someone is recognizing the struggle that I myself go through, or this is a really important issue that we should highlight and that we should talk about.
0: There's a degree of uh, vulnerability, it seems, to your job that, you know, doesn't exist (laughs) for a lot of other people. Is it and, you know, I'm curious about that vulnerability in the context of also empathy about thinking about the audience. What does drive you, though, to to be so vulnerable in your work is it part of the art is it because you want to reach the audience is it because you want to say something i'll let you answer
1: (laughs) there's something really funny because you know i can be completely vulnerable to like a room full of strangers but sometimes like being in a room full of let's say all my close family that would be like a totally different ball game i don't think i'd be able to perform all of the same poetry um all the time and The vulnerability for me is really my way of having that human connection with the rest of the world, with knowing that I'm alive and that my life um, matters and that other people's lives matters and that, you know, if I am going to have, you know, a limited time because of my, let's say, various disabilities or my illnesses, You know, I want it to be spent connecting with people as deeply as possible, right? And that's something that's valuable, but also something that is really scary because sometimes you can be very vulnerable and have someone not reciprocate that. And that doesn't necessarily affect on you as a person. It's just a choice that someone else makes. Um, but for the most part, I do find that there is this idea of reciprocity, that if you show care towards yourself and your own work, that other people will do the same towards you and towards themselves. And that ultimately, I think, is one of the most valuable things that art can do in a in a time like this.
0: Do you hear that kind of like, I'm curious about how you engage with audience after you you read things or after they've read your work. Um, do you feel that reciprocity or do you feel that feedback And and does that you know does that help you with your job does it help you continue with your career
1: you know there's often the case after a performance or show which isn't necessarily always possible online but in person for sure where you actually get to meet and talk to the people who come to a poetry event poetry events are not big blockbuster bestseller events right like there's not like a a lineup to go meet a poet, you know, they're not autographing random objects or shirts or boobs or anything like that. Like it's often a very kind of like intimate setting where you do get to see every single member of an audience and you do get to interact with them if they choose to. And there's a lot of people who who come to poetry events unaware of even kind of the boundaries of their own feelings and emotions. And that comes out during a show. And then they come to you and they share that with you, you know, and that's just something that you have to honor. Like as an artist, if you're bringing out feelings and emotions in other people, you have to kind of hold space sometimes for that. And you have to be a good listener as well as a good writer. I don't think good writers can be good writers unless they are listening Um, as as best as possible to the people they teach, to the people they affect, to the people they mentor.
0: I wanna comment before I forget how much I love your setup. Like how much, <laughs> <laughs> like the, the Mario, Super Mario Kart or well, Mario Brothers, like uh, plushies in the background. Those are amazing. And yeah. you put me to shame with my like two measly uh, pastels in the background. Oh, no,
1: <laughs> I think there's a, I think that's totally fine. I've actually, it's very selfish. Um, these are mostly like my own pieces of art that I've put up because I have nowhere else to put them. I was like, this is the perfect opportunity. The pandemic is like now my new stage. Um, This Zoom window, however big it is on your computer, is the only kind of microphone that I have. So I'm going to use it to the best of my ability.
0: Have you done many readings over Zoom during the pandemic?
1: I have done many, many readings over Zoom. I think I'm going to hit 50 by June um, in, in a year of being in the pandemic, which is quite a lot. I'm on a virtual book tour right now, which is hopefully wrapping up in the next month or so. And I did about 20, 25 shows for that, promoting my book, uh, which is actually probably more than I would have done in person. And so I feel like although some people kind of, you know, took time off to, to look inwardly and to not perform and to maybe create or maybe just do their best to survive at this time, I really tried to pivot into like an online business and online industry for performance. And it's just completely wiped me out. Like I've just been doing it so often.
0: Do you find, you talked about the energy that you feel when you're giving a reading to a, to an audience, does it still exist in Zoom? Is it the same kind of feeling?
1: Yeah. So the first I would say probably the first three months of performance were kind of rough, you know, like I, I didn't understand the energy of the room, you know, in a, in a physical space, I can kind of sense what people are giving off and what people are open to, what people might want to hear. It's, you know, that, that thing about reading the room is like a real thing that happens when you're a performer, you get better at it because it's practice, right? You get better at practicing how to read a room. And in Zoom, especially like when you have people who have their cameras off and they're not responsive in the chat or anything like that, which is totally their choice, it totally changes the atmosphere about how you can read a room. And so it was a really steep learning curve for me. Um, And when I eventually got to the point where I'm like, you know what, I think I fully embraced going online online. You know, I think I can really work this to my advantage. Uh, I still feel like there's potential for me to always try to to reach more at people or reach more deeply or to do better. But I have gotten better at it. I am able to kind of sense the virtual room and the virtual space, which is in itself like really like mentally taxing um, in a way that being in a physical space is not.
0: I wonder if it. And- I guess I'll just ask you this question. Do you think this will become a part of, you know, how book tours are done, how readings are done? Do you think it will be more integrated? Even in if, uh, quote, normal times return, do you think this is still a useful tool?
1: I think as a tool of accessibility, it's one that we really can't give up. You know, I was diagnosed with diabetes during the pandemic, and that made me very bound to my physical schedule and my physical needs, right? It was a long recovery process to even get to sta- stabilization for me. And I was, still being, I was still performing and I was still doing things online. I was still working my jobs online, but I was doing them in a way that really attended to my needs, right? So I was doing them at odd hours. I was able to take breaks more often. I was able to, you know, uh, rest when I had to. And these are things that I think, Are more accessible. And then when I did go back online, you know, a lot of the time I had people who might not have been able to see me on a single day in Toronto, but are able to tune in on like a Wednesday night. You know, and they're able to watch a show that they would never have been able to participate in. Also, in terms of accessibility, I can provide, let's say, the text of what I'm going to be reading to folks in in a Zoom conversation. And people can read along with me. I can show visual poems, you know, poems that have physical shape. I can share my screen like there are there are so many avenues that have been opened up to different and alternative engagement that I definitely think, like, especially as a as an organizer of events, uh, events too, that we need to keep accessibility in mind moving forward. That accessibility isn't just wheelchair access. It isn't just, you know, having um, people sign poems or sign text or something like that. Accessibility is also being able to have people in a space without, you know, without them having to go out of their way all the time um, physically to be able to attend and enjoy events.
0: It's interesting thinking about, uh, because I think most people don't think about Zoom in that way and think about this is actually more accessible. And I hope more workplaces, and we will see, embrace that idea that um, people may have accessibility issues and we we can add that to it. I want to go back to vulnerability for a bit and and when you started your career, because you had to, even though you spoke of, of your privilege of not having debts, etc., but you did have to take a risk coming out of what seemed like a steady career, the kind of career path that most people would take. You had a job in politics and you were moving along. What was it, um, like, were you scared about leaving that behind and entering the world of poetry? Or uh, were you like, this is a thing I have to do?
1: Yeah, you know, I... I reached this point. I had been sick uh, for a while while I was working in politics. I ended up being hospitalized. And as cliche as it is, I kind of had this moment where I was like, you know what, I can't guarantee that I'm going to stay as safe as possible in a career in politics. It It's really tough to be in politics as a young woman, especially. There's a lot of sexism. There's a lot of oppression. There's racism on top of it. Um, there's ageism, actually, which was like worse than almost anything else. Like the fact that you're young, you're often thought of as not having a valid opinion. You know, I was a 24, 25 year old staffer and people treated you really poorly, um, even though I had like great bosses and great support staff who who helped me out. I often felt like I I didn't matter in front of politicians, you know, and mentally that was that was really taxing on me and so when I reached the point of hospitalization I had to really take into account you know what is it that makes me happy as a person what is it that allows me to experience joy because that had become really tenuous as well um, through my mental illness it was something that I was really grasping at quite quite poorly a lot of the time and For me, the answer to that was when I was performing, when I was being able to reach audiences, when I was writing poetry. And so I thought to myself, you know, like, how can I build a career around valuing the things that make me most happy um, and doing the other things that support that ultimate directive, you know? And so... That's kind of how I came about to being in the position I am today. It is because, you know, performance does make me happier than anything else. And at a point at which I couldn't guarantee kind of the safety of my own, you know, long or whatever life because of being disabled, I was like, I'm just going to make it as worthwhile as possible.
0: Yeah, and it seems like it's interesting to me about, well, first of all, uh, as, as an aside, that toxic workplaces present such barriers to people. And uh, I hope we're moving towards a better self-evaluation of how workplaces operate. But also, I'm it's very curious that um, you seem to be in a spot now where you are able to bring so much to your job as opposed to having your job download so much on you? Would would you like you're able to channel the things that you see, the things that you feel and the things that you affect your life into the work you do? Do you think that's a fair assessment?
1: I think that's pretty fair. And like I said, like, working in politics was was not something that intended to be bad to me. There weren't people who acted maliciously outright, but there were a lot of kind of these small things that convinced you um, as like a young person that this was not a place you belonged in, right? Like you would work, let's say months on a, on a file for something like affordable housing or, you know, homelessness supports, and then it would reach council and they would vote against the policy recommendations that you had worked months and months on or something like that. Or the the data would come in and be like, hey, we need this speed limit in this residential area, and it would become a political issue, you know, and I just got so tired of that. It was so exhausting to see, you know, months of effort go that way to be put to public opinion instead of public good in some cases, right, that politics really tended to warp the good work that a lot of kind of people behind the scenes were doing. And I found that You know, when I was able to take myself out of that environment, like I said, despite having really great mentors and great people looking out for me, um, you know, I was able to more, more rightly assess, you know, what my needs were, but also have a say in the direct output of my work, that there was a correlation between me putting in certain hours of work and me getting something out of it. There wasn't this like big mismatch of energy um, or, you know, like intention. Uh, I didn't see other people, you know, take on things that I was passionate about and do them poorly or do them the wrong way. Like I was able to have control over my life again.
0: I think some people would be afraid of having that kind of control because you're also on your own, right? Like you have to make the work if you want to continue. Um, and likewise, you know, if your work is so personal to you, how do you step away from the work? Can you take a vacation from being a poet? Can you?
1: Yeah, I I don't know. I don't think you can. Um, I'm hoping you can. I don't think I really have had an opportunity to do that, um, you know, to, to see my life without a poetic lens. And sometimes I just want to enjoy things. I want to watch bad TV. I want to, you know, be able to spend time with my partner, um, without thinking about our jobs and stuff like that, without thinking about financial security when we're lucky enough to be able to do that, which is in itself, not always a privilege that uh, artists are afforded. And so, you know, like you are all alone sometimes, but you have community in a way that you didn't have before. That, you know, because art is something that brings people together, you learn to value every single person's effort in a different way. That they're that the way that they put energy out into the world, let's say in a performance, is an honoring, you know, it's something important. And you should respect people for that. And I think that in itself, like if if you build a foundation out of that in a community, then you're left with a community that's much more nurturing than you would be otherwise.
0: Going back for a second, just to career path, um, for other artists, young artists out there who maybe were in the position that you were in before you decided to go down this path, what advice do you think you'd have for them if they're thinking about pursuing a career as an artist?
1: You know, I would say that They have to be willing to set strong boundaries and they have to be willing to have the capacity to learn so many different skills. Because as an independent artist, you're a contractor, you're an entrepreneur, you're a freelancer. You have to know how to do all the technical and financial things, but you also have to be good at art, right? Like you have to do the art, which is the it's supposed to be the most important thing, but all the other stuff gets in the way, right? You have to do the planning, you have to do the contacting, you have to pitch if you wanna pitch, right? To festivals or magazines or journals or publishers, right? And it's like all of these things, which are not art creation are part of your job. And so like, as an artist, you know, It's easy to romanticize this idea of writing in a cabin in the woods, right? Like musician style, coming out with a masterpiece. But the amount of privilege that has to go into that for that to happen, you know it's just that's not how the modern artist works and the modern artist doesn't become famous in that way right so we can't live off royalties either so where where do you make your career then it's in the production of the art itself and in kind of the day-to-day way you're able to integrate art production as valuable right so we have our day jobs and that's okay we have artistic jobs we have nonprofit jobs we have other things that we're doing and that all becomes part of the life of an artist Uh, which is in itself always going to be more than just producing good art
0: and you talk about the you know the business side of being an artist Uh, you have a bachelor of commerce you have a business degree how has that intersected to your work because i don't think most people can think about a poet who also has a commerce degree but how do those two things like has it been very useful for you
1: you know uh there was a lot of me that really resented Getting that degree, even though there were moments of like really great joy and success. I really enjoyed a lot of the profs I had. You know, I had a lot of respect for my dean, a lot of respect for my peers. Uh, But part of me always wished that I was in a creative industry. And then when the opportunity came to, re-examine my life and make that choice, I had no idea how useful that degree was going to be. I really thought that I was leaving that life behind, that life of working in kind of that sector, both in government and in business, and that I was going to have to really strike it out on my own and learn an entirely new skill set. What I found in retrospect is that, you know, working in the artistic industry, these skills have made it have made me more competitive it have it, they've made me more competent they've made me you know better able to do my job which is ultimately trying to produce good art and taking care of all the needs I need to get to that point and the stuff that's been the most common and the most uh, kind of useful has been you know like the emphasis that business schools put on people skills, right? Like how do you understand other human people? How do you understand human beings? How do you understand their behavior? How do you speak to them in a way that matters or to that gets your point across? And so in business school, you might call it marketing. You might call it human resources. You might call it leadership. But in the artistic community, it's, you know, community well-being. It's community leadership. It's community connection. And these are all like transferable skills just under a different label.
0: It makes so much sense. And I think... We've talked to so many guests on this show who, whether they are from an arts background or they're working in a field that isn't related to arts, but have an arts side to them, they often talk about how the two can complement each other so well. But it does, as you say, I think, go back to the idea of people and connecting with community. So I'm also curious, just to, because I, I wanted to ask this question at the start and then I lost my place, but when, when did you... When did you start writing poetry and what was sort of, when did you start realizing you're pretty good at it or if something that you loved?
1: Yeah. So I came back to poetry around 22, 23 years old. I'm 29 now. So it's been about seven years. And, you know, some people would like to say that some people have said that like it was something that I was good at right away or pretty, pretty quickly. But in my view, I don't think I really believed in the strength of my work to stand on its own until, you know, three, four years into my career where I was really starting to do shows that were bigger than I could have intended. And that's when I was like, you know what? I think I'm actually good at this. I think I could do this full time. I want to take that chance. And so that was like a really big moment for me. Um, And also like, I I wasn't naturally good at it. I don't believe in kind of natural talent. I had other skill sets that led me to being pretty good at performing right away. Um, I had taken up competitive debating for something like seven or eight years before I was a poet. And so I was public speaking, you know, every week, every other weekend of a school year. And of course, that's going to translate to being a good performer or being able to think on your feet or think of poems, you know, um, in short periods of time when you have to. And so, you know, again, like entering poetry was not uh, a turning point. It was an accumulation of previous experiences.
0: That courage to put work out there, to put creative work out there. I think a lot of people struggle with that. I think, I mean, writing in general, as I, you know, I write for a living in a comms world, and I don't even feel comfortable with that work going out. Where do you find that courage? And and what do you say to people who are shy about their work?
1: You know, I just think that you have to think about, like, why you're holding back. Are you holding back to keep someone safe? Are you keeping yourself safe? Or are you holding back because you're afraid of backlash? And I don't think that's a good enough reason to hold back, being afraid of things. Um, Obviously, there are people who don't get the privilege of always being able to be vulnerable because they live in communities that dislike them, that hate them, right? If you're queer and you're not out, then sometimes it's hard to do those things. So obviously, keep yourself safe before anything else. But if the fear is that people won't like it, you know, like the art, not 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 like you as a person, or not value you or respect you, but just not like it. Then I don't think that's a good enough reason not to be vulnerable.
0: And as someone who makes creative works, do you worry about things like writer's block? Do you worry you won't be able to come up with another great? Do you, do you have you ever like, oh no, I've peaked, I've reached the best stuff I've done? Or yeah, do you...
1: I, I did that a lot I, at first. I was like, this is the best poem, or this was the the biggest thing that I could have done. And it's taken me a really long time and my partner has really helped. My partner is also a poet. Um, It's taken me a really long time to accept that like that kind of thinking is based in scarcity, right? It's based in this idea that there is a limited amount of potential or resources or time that any one person is given to be good at something. And I just, I don't believe that anymore. You know, I'm reaching 30. I've achieved a bunch of goals that I wanted to. There's a whole bunch more that I haven't. And, you know, that like I have to be okay with that, that there's time for me to learn other skills and to do these things that I want to. Uh, because, you know, for the most part, I didn't spend all my days setting out on a single goal. I've always wanted to try to do so many different things. And some of them are going to fall through the cracks and some of them are going to happen. I don't experience writer's block in the same way that some people do. I don't sit at a computer screen, um, you know, and go, I cannot think of a single thing to write about. My writer's block is like, I sit at a computer screen and I'm like, I have 23 things that I want to write about and I cannot pick which one to start first, or I only have an hour and I don't know which one to prioritize. You know, like that's the kind of block that I face. It's totally a time crunch for me. And some of my best work comes out under pressure, comes out under deadline, you know, and maybe that's not like a healthier, or sustainable way to have a whole career, but it is the way that I'm producing work right now, where someone asks for something or I get an idea and I have to chase it and follow it through before it runs out of steam.
0: I could, I could see people having to set sort of self-imposed deadlines, because it's true. You can, you can paralyze yourself, too, with just your thoughts, um, although I often stare at a blank computer screen and not know what <laughs> to write. It happens to me all the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I want to move on to our lightning round, which is brought to you by our Finney partner, TD Insurance. And basically, I'm just going to ask you a series of questions that we ask all our guests, yeah. and you can go with whatever comes to your head. Have you ever been fired okay. from a
1: job? I have uh, been not renewed. I don't know if that counts as officially fired uh, because I think my employers just like decided to ride out a contract, but I have quit more jobs than I've been fired from.
0: Common response. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up?
1: I wanted to be an artist.
0: Wow, mission accomplished. What did you want to be (laughs) when you started university?
1: Uh, I wanted to be a politician.
0: And you, you almost got there too. Uh, (laughs) here's a good one I think what's something that you wish people knew about being a poet
1: I think wish they knew that it's not about hearing your own voice it's about teaching people to value their voices and that you don't speak for anyone but yourself, but you can empower others to speak for themselves better or more effectively or louder, or give them platforms that they never had before, just by doing a good job of your own work.
0: What advice do you have for someone who feels like they're in a career rut, like they're stuck in a job?
1: I would say, take a course in something that has vaguely interested you that you've put off doing, um, spend the money on it, find a professor, find a mentor who can guide you through that process. And if it doesn't work out, you'll know, and you don't have to pursue it. But if at any moment you feel you've had like a slight tug of interest towards a sector, pursue it, like go down the rabbit hole, find out if that's where you want to end up.
0: What, what do you think you'd be doing if you weren't in this job?
1: You know, I think at this point, my goal was to run in this municipal election. I had this whole plan set out. I was like, I'm going to run for city council in 2021. I'm going to lose and I'm going to run again four years later. So I think if like I had followed that t- career trajectory, I'd either be working on a campaign right now or I'd be out there trying to shake hands.
0: Do you ever regret it? Do you, are you ever like, oh, I wish I was in politics?
1: You know, I miss it every day. I miss it every day, but I also am so glad I am not officially in politics. I think I'm still in politics, but just in like a different way. Like, I think it's more valuable for me to be an artist with a political voice than it ever would have been for me to be, let's say, like mayor of Edmonton.
0: What is your favorite thing about your job?
1: My favorite thing I love when young writers who like hate poetry, see spoken word poetry or what I do. And they go, you know what, I'm going to reconsider.
0: If you could go back in time and talk to yourself just after your graduation, what would you say to yourself?
1: I think I would tell myself to not quit therapy, uh, because that was like really instrumental in what led to me being hospitalized and being sick, which was obviously like, I don't want to change anything by going back. I, I don't believe in that kind of physics. Um, I think like you'll mess things up in a way you can't predict. But if I had to change something, I would say like health is more important than having a successful and long career. And that without kind of like the basis of your mental and physical health, nothing else good can, can come sometimes because you've neglected it and it affects everything. And now as like someone who has, multiple illnesses you know like I value it more than ever I'm more scared than ever but I'm also more happy than ever putting it first
0: in respect to your education or your career path is there anything you wish you had done I feel like you've already answered this one but uh
1: (laughs) yeah I I wish I had spent more time with people who cared about me and less time trying to impress people who didn't
0: That's fantastic advice. And I think a good point for us to jump into, I believe, audience questions. Let's see Uh, if anybody has some, feel free to fire them out. Um, I cannot see them, Chloe, so you might have to bring in the audience questions if they're there.
2: Sure, Matt, I'll read the questions out. Um, We have one question here. Somebody's asked, what are some opportunities for emerging artists to have their work seen or heard?
1: Yeah, the number one thing you should do is attend open mics. And so the the big secret is that, you know, the number one source of gigs or other opportunities to read are going to come from other artists. So the more you can connect with artists who are working at the same level as you, who are emerging, who are, you know, maybe doing it a little bit longer than you have or or have been doing it for even less time, the more you can build that community Um, through things like attending open mics, attending poetry events, sending people messages, right? Being like, hey, do you want to swap poems? Can we look at each other's work? Or, hey, can do you have time to like take a glance at this short story? Um, the worst thing that's going to happen is that people are going to say no, but the best thing that happens is that you create a connection, which later down the road, someone might be like, hey, I have this stage coming up. I need a poet or I need a reader. Do you know someone or do you want to do it? And that's going to be exactly how you build a performance career, but also how you build a career based on writing opportunities it's all referral it's all word of mouth and you you just got to be there in person um you know online or in person in person but online in these spaces if you can
2: so interesting i think you know that's advice we hear sometimes and i i guess um we sometimes imagine that a career in the arts is completely different than any other career but networking is such a big part of of any career you pursue it sounds like Mm -hmm. We have another question somebody's asking if you could go back to the U of A and pursue a different program, maybe a creative one, what would you do? So if you were going back for another degree or course, what would it be?
1: You know, uh, I love this kind of question because it's like, do you go back without the knowledge you have now? Do I get to restart completely or do I go back with the knowledge I have now? So if I had to go back with my current knowledge and like not have that a trophy or something, then I think I would go back and I would do like a fine arts degree because more than sometimes more than I love poetry I wish I had become a painter some days like I just I'm not good at it and I want to be good at it it's genuinely something that I do as a hobby that I don't intend to monetize for a very long time Um, if I had to go back and kind of blindly redo I think I would try to do creative writing just because it is, it brings me so much joy now. It is the thing that I value more than anything else. But then again, I might be left without the business skills that get me where I am today. So again, like I don't mess with the universe in that way. I don't, I don't wanna do it. It makes me uncomfortable. I've watched enough like sci-fi and fantasy but theoretically speaking I think I would wanna go back and do like a writing degree.
2: Um, that's <laughs> don't mess with the universe is great advice uh we have one more question and oh somebody asked do you have a favorite poetry reading or memorable experience that you've had that you would want to share
1: yeah this is I love this question because it sounds it makes me sound so cheesy so I'm just like warning you in advance for for this answer which is not a canned answer it's my genuine experience and I just want to share it but in 2017 um The year I was hospitalized and quit my last politics job, I went to Europe on this kind of like trip to help heal, uh, which again, like came with a lot of privilege that I had. Um, And I decided to try to do like a a virtual tour. So I did these shows in Europe that I'd taken me like six months to book. And one of them was in like a basement venue in Berlin. Um, And it was a smoking bar because everyone in Europe smokes, which is like super gross. And like it gets in all your clothes and stuff like that and in your suitcase. And I went to the venue. I had two friends with me, German friends who I had met on the Internet. Uh, We were meeting for kind of the first time in person and they watched me do like an entire set of poetry. And there was all these people, all of them spoke English, some of them as they were like fourth or fifth language, and some of them were expats, some of them coming from other countries and other places. And for the first time in my life, I was asked to do an encore, like I was asked to keep reading more poetry. And I just remember feeling like every intention of the universe to show me what I should be doing with my life manifested in that room where the universe was like, you need to perform for a living, you need to perform for whatever it takes to you to for you to perform. And like, there's no clear way for like these unseen forces to tell me that than to have all of these people literally on their feet for me, you know, some with tears in their eyes, showing me that poetry was like a way to love, to friendship, to care, to self-realization. I
2: love you, I love that. (laughs) I think I just said I love you, but I I sort of feel that way right now. (laughs) I also love that you use friendship as a verb. That was really touching. We have some more questions for you. And one of them is, how do you, how did you start off meeting other artists?
1: Yeah, I honestly, I just started going to a local poetry open mic called Breath and Poetry, which I think is tentatively trying to restart right now uh, in the pandemic. But it is kind of, you'll find that artists are really unreliable. So it's kind of all over the place. But I, I honestly just, I started hearing about poetry events and attending from that. And once that happened, you know, I went out on a limb and I would message artists or I would hang up with them where I would be like, hey, do you want to go get a drink or do you want to meet for coffee? And I was like so eager to make new friends, which like as an adult, not everyone is. Not everyone is good at or not everyone has the opportunity to. And some of my some of my closest friends now came from that time in my life where I was kind of like at this crossroads about what I wanted to do and therefore really open to almost anything. My partner and I met at a poetry open mic, uh, you know, and we're engaged now and we're going to, you know, spend the rest of our lives together. And we met literally at like a, a venue in downtown Edmonton reading poetry to each other.
2: That sounds pretty romantic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hard not to fall in love. Um All right, somebody's asked, what is next on your bucket list of poetry or creative pursuits that you haven't been able to do yet? Performance location or type of thing you wanna do, put it out into the universe.
1: Yeah, so location, I, this is like, I don't wanna sound vain, but I just think it would be really fun. I really wanna do a show at like the Jubilee or the Windsphere, like big stages that are meant for sound. You know, like I think like auditorily, that would be like a really fascinating experience. Um, I also am working on my spoken word album right now. So that's Poetry Set to Music. And I have been trying to work and finish this album since I think 2019. And so like it has been like a long process and it is ongoing. So I would like to just like take the time to go into that cabin in the woods and like finish this project because it's something that I want to put out into the world that I think I could be good at.
2: That's excellent. Um, I think we're out of time for the Q and A right now, but before we close, there's just a couple of things I want to say. And one is I want to share with, um, our audience and thank you for putting this out into the world, but you have a, a line in one of your poems that says, uh, failure is inevitable, the bedrock of growth. And I'm, I might be paraphrasing that a bit. Um, but it's, it's advice that we hear a lot on this podcast. Um, said more beautifully and I want to let people know that if they're feeling like they're failing or that they haven't had success yet, um, it doesn't mean that they won't and uh, and that there's every reason to be hopeful. I think your story is one that um, uh, illustrates that point and I mm-hmm. loved hearing it today. So thank you so much, Nisha, for joining us. Um, for this webinar. Thank you everybody for participating and for those great questions. Um, I have put in the chat the link to the um, PD credit form. So if you need to use this session to receive credit for your professional development, you can complete that form. And um, if you're interested in more advice like this, you can always check out the podcast, What the Job, wherever you listen to podcasts. And Nisha, before we go, I want to leave the last word to you. Do you want to let people know um, a bit about where they can find your book or where they can hear you next?
1: Yeah. So uh, my debut collection, and I keep it here because I do so many shows, is called Coconut. It's out now. Uh, with oh my nails match I didn't even notice that but it's out now you can get it for free delivery in the Edmonton metro area from Glass Bookshop so I'm a huge fan of supporting indie businesses especially ones started by U of A alum Um, so please support them there are two queer bookshop owners who are trying their best to get good words out into the world you can also find it on ebook uh, if you if you want and if you can't support the book or if you don't want to buy it that's totally fine but requesting it at your local library does a ton of work for me it, it really helps me out even if the library doesn't have it it tells them that people might want to bring it in uh, all of that is really valuable for any sort of aspiring writer. You can find me on Instagram. That's mostly where I pay, post opportunities, workshops, uh, events that you can attend, uh, advice for other writers, all of that goes onto my onto my Instagram. So you can find me there if you have a more formal request. You can also find me on my website, nishapatel.ca Thanks again, Nisha.
2: And thanks, Matt, for that great conversation, for hosting that conversation. Um, And that brings us to the end of this webinar. Thank you all very much.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of What the Job? And thanks to our guest, Nisha Patel, for talking to us about her career as an artist. And as always, a reminder that the best place for alumni to connect with other alumni about jobs, mentorship, or volunteer opportunities is the online platform Switchboard. It's free, and you can try it out today at uab.ca slash sboard. It's a great tool no matter where you are in your career journey. That's all for this episode. For What the Job, I'm Matt Ray. See you next time.